Welcome to Love Your Reports. I'm Paul Felix, your host, and this is episode 22. Today I want to go back and revisit a topic that we did touch on previously, and that's trusting your reports. You know, we're building Reportopia here, and there's really not much that's more important than actually being able to trust the reports that are being generated. At the end of the day, you need to look at those reports or someone needs to utilize those reports to make decisions that are going to drive your business. You know, it's either going to make you more successful or it's not. So knowing that those reports are accurate has a lot of repercussions. If people find that they're not accurate, they're not going to use the reports or even worse, maybe they do use the reports and they make decisions that have bad outcomes. So trust is really important when it comes to reporting. So how do we get to the point where we actually trust our reports? We talked about that a little bit in the past, and a big part of that is testing. We're going to focus on testing here today. Specifically, I want to cover testing from your perspective, the business user's perspective. What is your role in testing? And I also want to make sure that you understand what the developer's role is so that you have kind of a comprehensive view of what's being done to ensure that data being presented in these reports is actually accurate. And we have to actually define that. You know, what is accuracy here? Okay, so let's jump in. Now, as a little bit of background here, let's assume that we have already collected requirements. The business analyst has collected the requirements. The developers consume those requirements. And we're at the point in the process now where development is complete. At least the initial round of development is complete. So the developer looked at the requirements, did whatever had to be done, and ultimately has generated an output that is believed to meet the requirements. Now, how does that developer know if requirements have been met? That's really the first question. And that gets into what is a validation source? You know, the developer is working with code of you know some type of coding language and they're moving data from point A to point B and transforming it, you know, restructuring it. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong in this process. So how do at the end of the day does the developer know that the results are actually valid? And the way they know that is through some type of validation source. Now way back at the requirements collection point where hypothetically here, you were interfacing with the business analyst, that analyst likely would have asked you, you know, what are the expected results? How can we ensure that we are meeting expectations? And that's typically done through a validation source. Now, this can take a number of different paths. Let's talk about a couple of them here. In what I would call the happy path, we're actually recreating something that already exists. Maybe you have a report that your business application is producing and it actually has accurate information that we can use to tie back to and say, well, if the results of the development actually match the results of this report that we're able to get out of your business system, then we know we're accurate. Again, that's kind of the happy path. Now, that report that we're getting out of the business system could come in a number of different forms, of course. It may be a large, very detailed data extract. You know, I would call it an atomic data extract where we're getting all of the detailed data out. Or it could be a high-level number that's actually the aggregation of a number of different detailed data elements. 
And of course, the detailed data extract is a lot more valuable or a lot more easy to work with, I would say, than just a high-level number. Obviously, if you have the detail, then what the developer can do is they can essentially uh, join the validation source to the outputs of what was developed to determine if we have a match at each individual detailed data point. And if there's not a match, well, it's pretty obvious where that issue is. Maybe it's just on one or two elements, uh, records, or maybe it's kind of across the board. And that gives the developer something to go on. Now we know, you know, we're generally right, but there's a couple of outliers here. Do we have a couple of outliers because the requirements didn't encompass something? Or is that actually an outlier that is expected based on the requirements? We're deviating basically from what the validation source is telling us in some way. There's a lot of things that can happen there. But at the end of the day, if we have a detailed data set that we can compare against, that's really the best situation. Because again, we can now see on a record by record basis whether or not we're meeting expectations. Now, on the other hand, if you have something like an aggregate report, maybe it's just even one number, it gets a lot more difficult because now what has to happen is the developer has to aggregate the results of the development to match whatever number we're given, number or numbers, to see if we match, right? And, you know, even if you do match, you still can't be quite certain that you're actually correct at the atomic level. For example, if we have a number that we're getting out of a source system, I don't know, let's just say we're talking about sales and we have one number per region, but the developer is working on, you know, detailed data to generate those regional level numbers. Well, even if we do match those regional level numbers, there's still a number of ways that the development could be inaccurate. You know, it may be that the detailed numbers are aggregating to the total correctly, but maybe those details are assigned to the wrong individual sales reps. It's always better to have the detailed data as a validation source, but we don't always get what we want, right? Sometimes you got to take what you got. And often when we're building Reportopia here, it is the case that we're not going to have exactly what we already are trying to build, right? It just makes sense. We're often building something new. Not always, but often we're building something new which means that we're not going to have an apples-to-apples comparison when we do testing. But that doesn't mean we can't test. We absolutely can and we must test. Now, in that case where we have a report that's giving us a high-level number, you know, that's what you, the business, is able to give us to validate against because that's what's available today. Well, great. You know, that's step one. Now we tie to that high-level number. That looks good. Now we need to figure out how we can do a little bit more validation. It may be that we actually have to log into the business application and do some amount of sampling to see, we'll stick with the sales rep example, to see if the numbers that are coming out of the development effort are matching on a sample basis to what we're seeing in the business application. And there's other ways to handle that, but at the end of the day, we've got to have some type of validation source that gives us confidence that the development that was completed actually matches the expectations. Now, there are times when you simply don't have a report in your business application that you can give for a validation source, and you can't just go into the business application to validate the results. This is when you're building something that's really new. It could be, well, a good example would be like forecasting type information. You're not going to have the forecast in your business application, hypothetically. 
or, you know, again, some type of logic that simply does not exist in your business application. Well, then what we have to do is we've got to back up. We have no way to validate the final results, but at some point we can back up in the business logic and find a point where we can validate. So maybe we're trying to project sales. We'll stick with sales example here. In that case, well, maybe we can tie the actuals, right? Because the actuals should be in the business application. Maybe we can get a report out of the business application, whether it's high level or detailed level, or we got to go into the front end to actually find those sample test cases. But we should be able to get the actuals tied. Then what I call it is just proving your work from there. Once you can tie at the detail level, then you have to actually prove the work to get to the final results. Because again, there's nothing to tie the final results to here, but we can at least tie the starting point, which is the actuals in this case. And then we can show the computations that have occurred between that point that we we're able to validate and the final results that we're presenting. That's detail to results type validation. All right, so validation sources are important. This is something that the analysts that you're working with will often be asking you for. So hopefully that gives you some understanding of what options you have. You know, again, it's kind of just what do you have available for us to make sure that the development that's being done actually meets your expectations. Now, let's talk about the actual testing process itself. There's whole disciplines that focus on this type of thing. So I'm not going to do it justice here, but I'm going to try to give it an overview, which I think is going to be sufficient for business users to understand what's going on here. It's not really all that complicated. So first of all, when a developer is building something, they are going to want to know if they've met expectations as they're developing, right? That just makes sense that they're going to want to know at the end of the day, hey, what am I trying to develop? And even if they don't have a formal process, even if it's just complete cowboy coding, which we don't recommend, if you tell a developer to do something, go build this widget and make sure that the results do A, B, and C. Well, as the developer is building something, they're actually testing as well. They're running their code to see, is it doing A, B, and C? So that's a very down and dirty type of testing but we are often a lot more formal about this process. Now, there are disciplines of how you do software testing. There's test-driven development, there's behavior-driven development, acceptance testing. There's a lot of different ways of testing, and I'm not gonna go into those methodologies here, but just know that some of those things are likely what the development team is actually using as they're going through this test process. Now, the first tester is the developer. The developer built something. They have read the requirements. Hopefully, they have a validation source. And the developer is actually going to do that first round of validation. However, as you can imagine, a developer is testing their own effort. And it's quite easy for a developer to be biased. It's easy for a developer to just overlook things because, again, they're very deep into this effort and sometimes it's just not as easy for a developer to catch a problem as it would be for someone on the outside, let's say. And that's where peer testing comes in. So the developer will give the results of their effort and the validation source to someone else, often another developer, maybe a senior consultant or something like that. And then that person will read the requirements, run the code, look at the validation source, and see if the validation effort succeeded. So it's essentially just a second set of eyes from a technical perspective to see if we actually met requirements. And that's the peer testing process. 
Now, if testing passes the developer's effort and testing passes peer testing, then testing will go to you, the client, the business user. At that point, what you're going to be asked to do is to, once again, determine if the results of development have met requirements. Now, how are you going to do this? There's a couple of things that you have to have in mind here. Number one, you already have provided a validation source. So you should be pretty familiar with what you provided. You know the nuances of that validation source. And you also know what the requirements were for the development effort. And now you have some type of an output, some type of data has been given to you. And we're asking you to say, is this correct? Are these numbers accurate? So now you're going to be comparing the development output to your validation source. The same thing that the developer did, the same thing that the peer review did, but now you're asked to do this as well. So what that actually entails, it could take, again, a number of different paths here, but often it's just simply, you know, here's a data dump in Excel coming out of the development effort, and you already have a data dump coming out of your business application. Do the numbers match up? And sometimes the developer and or the peer reviewer will provide their evidence as well for their testing. So you can see what they did to compare the validation source to the development effort. Now, I don't recommend utilizing those results. You know, you need to see them because you shouldn't have to test as a business user until you know the development team believes that they've developed something that meets your requirements. You should start from scratch, frankly, because you don't want to let a mistake that was made upstream of your testing bias your testing. So you really do need to start from scratch with your testing. Pull in your data source, get the raw data dump from the development team, and do your comparison to see if we actually have some accurate results. Now, let's talk about where this testing is being done because there's a couple of things here that are important to keep in mind, mainly around timing. So a development environment is typically going to be used to do all this work. You know, we're not doing development in your production environment. Your production environment is an area where everything there is tested. All reports should be reliable, accurate. They should be current and so on. We don't want to impact that production environment. In other words, nothing goes to production until we get done with all of this testing. And we're all satisfied that the testing has been accurate. So how are we going to test if we're not doing this in production? Well, we do that by having a parallel environment. Sometimes you'll have an actual test environment. Sometimes you'll even have a QA environment. For now, let's just call it a development environment. Essentially, it's just an environment that's completely decoupled from your production environment. If a mistake is made in development, it doesn't impact production. However, because we're working in a different environment, there's often time-based issues that have to be taken into consideration during testing. And again, this can take a number of different paths here. But what we often do is in a development environment, we're not refreshing that environment. We're not getting current data into that environment at the same interval as we are in production. In our case, a lot of times we'll just refresh development as needed to get to the test results that we are looking for. Now, something similar is true for that validation source that you, the business user, provided. And that is you pulled that data out of your business application at a certain point in time. And it's very important that we understand exactly what point in time that validation source was extracted. Because, of course, after the point that report was extracted, the business has continued to operate and things have changed. 
So it's very important that we have as current as possible validation source and as current as possible development in data, but it's critical that those two are actually in sync. Now, in some cases, it's not practical to get them completely in sync. In that case, you have to have some way of knowing how to identify what we'll just call timing issues. And those timing issues have to then be run down. You can't just dismiss everything as a timing issue or your testing is useless. So you have to identify the cases where things don't validate accurately, completely, and then run the rest of them down. And you have to do that at least enough so that you understand, you know, yeah, I've just tested 20 of these failed test cases and they're all due to timing, meaning that the business application is ahead of the testing data that we're comparing against. All right. So again, the third step in the testing process is your testing, the client testing, the business user testing. And, you know, yes, of course, you're trying to ensure that the results of the development match your validation source. That's for sure. But at the same time, you have to also keep in mind what we're trying to achieve from a business perspective. If you find that the test results are matching the validation source, but you also in the back of your mind have something that's telling you, you know, we really also need to do A, B, and C because that's what it's going to take to actually add value at the end of the day. I didn't think about that up front when we were talking about requirements, but now that I look at this data and I am doing the validation, I realize that we really need to do these additional things. You've got to stop the process right there. You've got to speak up right there and say, look, yeah, the results tie. It's matching what I asked to have done, but we've got to back up and go back and do another round of development because now I have more information. This is a completely natural process. You know, people learn things when they look at these results that maybe weren't top of mind when initial requirements were collected. Because again, you're looking at very detailed information. It's making you think. But for whatever reason, sometimes people are hesitant to give us this type of feedback that are going to essentially change the requirements. I guess that's because in some development shops, you'll have change requests and then change requests have to get approval. And those things have costs associated with them. And that might actually lead back to the person that's changing the requirements and make them look bad. I don't know. But we've got to set all of that aside and just, you know, focus on what we're trying to get done here. You'll very rarely have all of the requirements correct on any significant development effort on the first try. You might be very close, but often you, the business, is going to learn something just like the development team will as the development process is progressing. So at this point, where client testing, business user testing is happening. You know, again, we're downstream of the developer and the peer testing, which have been successful. Now we're doing your testing. It's important that you provide not only the results of your testing from a, you know, A matches B type of scenario, but you've also got to think about, does this actually get me to where I want to be? Am I actually going to be able to use these results to get to the value that I'm ultimately trying to achieve? Now, let's just say that we tie exactly like we think we were supposed to tie. Data's lining up perfectly, but you did learn something new that we need to add to make this report as valuable as it can be. We really have a couple of choices at that point. We could stop from moving forward. You know, don't push this thing into production because it's not as good as it could be. And then we could go back and do another round of development, go back through testing and see if we meet the mark. Or maybe there is value in what's already developed. We can push that into production 
and then go back and add to it. You know, that's what we really like to do. We like to constantly be improving. So if we have something of value, of course, if it's wrong, we're not going to push it into production. But if we have something of value, even if it's not you know, as good as it can possibly ever be, even if it's not, let's get it into production because look, we don't want to throw away something that is valuable. Let's get that thing producing results and then let's improve it. It's kind of an interesting situation because again, everybody wants it to be perfect. Everybody wants that. We want it to be as good as it can possibly be as soon as it goes out. And I think that's natural, but you know, it's kind of like this analysis paralysis thing. It's often going to slow you down and reduce the overall value if we're not going to put something out in production until it's as good as it can possibly ever be. Because frankly, it's never as good as it can ever be. We're always going to find ways to make it better. As soon as you get that report out into production and you think it's perfect, business user, guess what? Your colleagues are going to look at that and they're going to give us more insight into what's going on. Maybe things that the person that's giving us requirements doesn't actually know about. And that's going to feed additional requirements, ultimately go through another round of testing and further improve this report, add more value for the business. Okay, so uh, it's kind of long-winded there, but this is the, um, uh, back to the testing process. This is the third round of testing, and this is client or business user testing. Your role here is to make sure not only that we're matching from an A equals B type of standpoint, but also just think about the requirements that you gave and see if the requirements need to be adjusted um, at this point or not. Now, assuming that testing passes the developer test, the peer review test, and client test, now this feature is going to be promoted to production. At Leapfrog BI, we have an actual queue in our Kanban board where we'll push features across a board. And one of those queues is called promote to prod. And those are the cards that actually have passed testing, all the testing I just talked about, and are ready to go into production. Now, what's going to happen here is we are going to schedule this promotion into production. It really depends on each individual business to decide when we're going to push into production. We want to do it, of course, when it's not going to impact the business users. We want to make sure that we have time to recover if something goes wrong. There's other considerations here that we're not going to go into, but ultimately we're going to schedule a promotion into production so that that feature or that report, whatever it might be, is pushed into production and it's ready for use for everybody that it's intended for. Now, at the point that the feature goes into production, we're going to do another round of testing. Now, of course, this is going all the way through development, which means that we have a parallel environment here, right? We've got development, which has these results in it. And then we have, now that we promoted it to production, we have everything in production with the results in production as well. At that point, we have to do another round of validation. And we're not really typically going to find anything here, but we need to make sure that the results in production also match the results that we're looking for, right? If we had some anomaly happen, some mistake during the promotion process, what have you, there's another round of testing that has to be done. We just call it validation, and that's done in production. Now, once it's out there in production and the business has looked at it and said, yep, looks good, matches what my expectations are, at that point, we're done with that feature and we'll close that request out. Okay, so now the business is using this feature. This report is out there, hopefully adding value, but there's still more testing to be done. And this is the ongoing testing process. You know, we're going to have additional requests that go through development. 
And those requests ultimately are making changes to this engine, we'll call it, that's moving data around, pulling data in, transforming it, creating new data structures, and ultimately moving into reports that your business is using. As those changes are made, we want to make sure that we're not negatively impacting something that has already been developed. And we don't want to have to retest everything every time that we go through a development process. So this is where regression testing comes in. If we can define some type of known valid output, then we can create a regression test that will constantly be looking to see if that parameter is staying in line or not, you know, without having to go through this testing process every time we push a new feature out. So you'll likely hear about regression testing. Hopefully you don't hear too much about it other than explaining that it exists. But if you hear that a developer is saying, hey, this thing failed regression test and it's something that you haven't even been working on, well, this is why, because testing has been set up to happen continuously, you know, on things that you did six months ago and you forgot about. Well, testing is continuously happening there to make sure that we're staying in line. There's a lot of reasons, of course, why the regression test would fail. It could be that something was changed that shouldn't have been changed or wasn't changed correctly. It could be that your business application's configuration has changed, so now the business rules need to be updated. There's a lot of reasons for that. But at the end of the day, we have to have some way of knowing that not only are we accurate now with these results, but we're also going to have some way to look at this on an ongoing basis to ensure that we're staying accurate going forward. Okay, so I hope that gives you guys an understanding of what's going to be expected when we get into the testing process of these reports that we're developing. And, you know, it is really important. This is super important because at the end of the day, testing actually creates trust. It's one of the ways we create trust. If you are involved intimately in the testing process, you're going to have faith that the results are actually meeting expectations because you did the test, you tested it, you know that the results match expectations. And the process that we go through should also instill trust. And when you, the person that's heavily involved in this process, has trust, then you're able to confidently go out there and relay that trust to others. And that, of course, is going to hopefully instill trust in them and also ensure that the report is actually being utilized to deliver the value you know, change the business process that we're hoping to change so that we actually deliver value for the organization we're working for. Okay, I'm going to leave it there this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at Paul B. Felix is my handle. You can email me anytime. Paul at loveyourreports.com is my email address. Thank you again for listening. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. <music>